Carrick Tea, A Stranger Paying for Breakfast, and Couch Surfing in Kuwait. This week, we're talking to Mandy and Lee, the Frugal Travelers. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is the place for foodies to explore the world at DestinationEatDrink.com and here on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. This week, it's Mandy and Lee, the frugal travelers in the Middle East, Thailand, and New Zealand. But first, if you like the podcast, I think you'll like the Destination Eat Drink website and our videos. So sign up for our newsletter and you can keep on top of everything we're doing, not only on the podcast, but also at DestinationEatDrink.com and on YouTube. Sign up for the newsletter at DestinationEatDrink.com. My guests this week are Mandy and Lee, YouTube's frugal travelers. They've been around the world traveling for the last 25 years, and a few years ago, they decided to document their travels on YouTube. That's where I found them shortly after they started riding out the pandemic in Portugal. Their videos show what life is really like on the road as they stick to a tight budget of $25 a day per person. If that sounds impossible, well, it's not, and Mandy and Lee prove it. Since leaving Portugal a few months ago, Mandy and Lee have been to the Middle East, Thailand, and are now visiting family and friends in New Zealand before heading out again. We talk about making friends while couch surfing, as well as some amazing dishes like lumi, Yemeni bread pudding, fatouche salad, and ko soy soup. Plus, Mandy talks about eating like a teenager in New Zealand and a great way to eat Vegemite. Okay, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Lee and Mandy, the Frugal Travelers, so great to have you back on Destination Eat Drink. It's been far too long. Thanks for being back on the show. Oh, thank you so much for inviting us, Brent. We had so much fun last time, so we were really happy when you invited us back. It's brilliant. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to come back and speak to you again. You know, I first learned about you guys when you were in Portugal, and I guess you spent more time in Portugal than you have anywhere else in quite a while. And that was due to external, obvious circumstances. We were going through a global pandemic. So you were kind of in Portugal, I don't know, two or three years, however long it was. But my first question to you is you're now back out on the road and traveling like you have done for so many years of your lives. How does it feel after being in Portugal for so long to be able to go back out on the road and travel so much again? It was actually, it was kind of a shock to the system because we'd spent two years in Portugal and fell in love with that country. Like, it's my favorite country in the world. It was absolutely brilliant. But we were excited to be back on the road again and exploring Mm -hmm. like an area that was very new to us, like the Middle East. But it was a little bit, I don't know, it took a little bit to get into it at first yeah yeah I think we chose quite a challenging travel destination to sort of uh, dip our toes back into didn't we um yeah but Portugal was just so wonderful it was it was really hard to drag ourselves away from there uh, but excited to be traveling again so mixed emotions really yeah as someone who's lived in Portugal for over a year now I can see how it would me and me and Karen we talk about this all the time we're like 
I don't know how we're going to go anywhere else because we've built such a beautiful life here in a beautiful community in our in our town of Setubal. We're like, yes. I don't know how you're going to beat it. So, um, but hats off yep. to you guys for uh, getting back on the horse and uh, and getting out there and traveling again. You spent some time in the Middle East, and I wanted to start talking about the Middle East with you because it's a it's a place that. I'm really not that familiar with. I don't know a lot of people who've spent time in the Middle East. I haven't personally been to the Middle East. And then when I saw you guys were going there, I thought, wow, I got to talk to Mandy and Lee and find out what their experience was like going to the Middle East. So my first question to you is, you guys are the frugal travelers. You are known for traveling on a budget of $25 a day per person including lodging. And when I think of the Middle East, again, my experience is completely based on what I read and what I see on on television, but it's notoriously expensive. Were you guys able to keep to your frugal travel budget while you were in the Middle East? Uh, We have one word that will, you know, sum up our experience or explain how we managed to travel in the middle of the budget, and that's couch surfing. We tried it before in like um, Bulgaria and Romania and Iran back in 2018. But when we looked at Middle East prices, like for accommodation, like we got, I think we paid for one hotel, our very first night in Saudi Arabia, and that was 40 US dollars a night. Um, so we had already decided we were going to like look into couch surfing and embrace that experience. And that's what it sort of saved, yeah. saved the day. It saved our budget. And it also... Yeah, it turned out that it was it's the best thing to do there as well. Purely not to save money on accommodation, but uh, to meet local people and to be introduced to the local culture by um, the, your host that you stay. With. They show you around. They explain things to you. Uh, you know, they they introduce you to things that you could never find yourself. So that was an amazing experience. Yes. And yes, the, the Middle East is quite expensive for transport and accommodation. Food's not too bad. Uh, so it worked out fine. And we did come in under budget. So couch surfing is where someone just allows you to stay in their home for free. And you kind of have this instant friendship, sort of, I guess. I've never yes. done it myself. Um, that's kind of how it works. But my question would be then, do you guys, there must be websites that you recommend for uh, doing couch surfing. Um, it's it's not like the old days where you would just kind of wander into town and ask around, hey, anyone got a got a spare bedroom or a couch that I can crash, <laughs> or a floor I can crash on? Uh, what websites do you guys recommend? Well, there's actually an app. It's a website now uh, called couchsurfing.com. Dot com. Yeah. And mm. um, it, was it .com or .org? It's, it's an app. Yeah, we found it on the Google Play Store. But yeah. um, it, it yeah. used to be free, but I think they started charging for it a while ago to to Sign prevent up. ads. They didn't want to have ads on it, so they, mm. they charged like a yearly fee. I think it was 21 euros we paid. Mm. And so you sign up for it. Um, the really important thing to stress about couchsurfing, it's not, it's not just about free accommodation. It is, like Ashley said, it's a whole, it's a cultural thing. So when you do go and stay, like they recommend like a maximum of three nights, but it's, you have to be prepared or it's all about wanting to spend time with the host. So like we've spoken to a couple of hosts who have said like people nowadays, they seem to like just assume it's just free accommodation and someone will rock up, drop their bags and then go racing off to go exploring where it's not about that. It's about 
like going, yeah, going yeah. and, and mm. meeting the host and going out with the host when they have time, like in between like their work and family arrangements, etc. And then, yes, yeah, spending time mm. with them. But so, so we've got the app on our phone, and when we look for somewhere to couch surf, because it requires a bit of preparation, not too much preparation. We um, like when we were booking our tickets in October, we like wrote to a few people in October to like to stay with them in January. That's way too far in advance. You know what I mean? It's not like booking.com. You've got to go early to book the best, the best, mm. cheapest places. And especially in the Middle East, they're so relaxed, the hosts. They some of them like it like a message a day before is when they like their request. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. But so you go onto the app and you read the reviews or you go and you look for a host and then you make sure yes, you read the reviews. It's incredibly important. And then you like send a request or you put out like your general trip plan and then people will write to you from that as well. And it's just, it honestly and truthfully, it sort of changed our way of travel like mm, in the Middle East. Totally. We were, uh, we couched, um, we, sorry, we house sat for, for three weeks in the beginning in Abu Dhabi. And that was kind of the, we were, uh, we went to the region in the first place uh, to do this uh, house sitting for, for three weeks. And that was great. It didn't really learn much about um the emirates abu dhabi while we were there because we were like isolated in a house on our own we went and, and did a bit of sightseeing and stuff um we didn't meet any locals that way uh, when we went to kuwait it was such a wonderful person that the guy that picked us up and took us to his home and within the first 24 hours in there we'd learned more about kuwait than we'd learned about emirates in the three weeks we were there you know so yeah. that's like an example of how wonderful it is what a great experience it is and Arab hospitality is second to none as well the people yes. there are just so welcoming and friendly and hospitable it's uh, it's quite humbling it's incredible. Really. and like Khaled our host in, in Kuwait he has, he's become such a good friend now like he sent us a, a whatsapp message this morning I've got to write to him like after this and, <laughs> and I have a chat with him because he's just he's such a wonderful guy and he's yeah, yeah absolutely brilliant and so we're going to be making like a lot of our videos that are going to be coming up soon on our channel are going to be featuring like our hosts and so that way hopefully people can see like we have this pre preconceived idea about the Middle East because all we hear on the news tends to be like war and strife and all these terrible things going right, on right and when we were there it was just oh my word it was incredible our biggest danger was like, eating too much because people just kept feeding us it was just <laughs> yeah. like we gained weight it was just like yeah. please no don't order another dish yeah. like yeah it was just <laughs> so it was so wonderful as Lee said so incredibly kind so yeah. such good people it's amazing I love this idea of a cultural exchange on uh, on couch surfing and I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to make the jump or not, but I love hearing about it from you guys. So I'm going to live vicariously through you on this couch surfing idea. Is there an expectation of reciprocity? In other words, you went in and you stayed at these people's homes and they entertained you. They gave you hospitality, which you said was wonderful. You made friends. Is it now expected that you will do the same and open up uh, open up a place where you are? <laughs> you guys have no fixed address, so it might be a little more difficult <laughs> exactly. for you. But is is yeah. there some sort of a reciprocal uh, component to this? I think it's uh, such a good question, but I think it's in terms it's long term. Like when you sign up to Couchsurf, and like a really important thing is to get good references in the future. Like as you said, we have no fixed abode at the moment, but in the future when we are staying somewhere, like. We actually stayed in Bulgaria. We stayed with someone in Sofia, Juki. She was actually like a, a traveler, a digital nomad. She was staying in a place for a month. 
and she asked her the person that she was sharing like the apartment with if she could host couch surfers and so she could even though she herself was like a digital nomad so maybe we can do that in the future and then that way we can build up references as hosts but yeah. it's not it's not an immediate reciprocity thing it's more when you're there like a lot of people like they cook for their hosts or they'll bring them presents or like small presents or, or something like that or if you go shopping like grocery shopping like contribute towards the the grocery bill that, that sort of thing like people can do that but with our hosts in the middle east it was blinking like nigh on impossible, impossible to do anything for them because they just we, we, I, we wanted to buy Khaled like uh, our last meal in kuwait and he still no, like he insisted, insisted on yeah. on paying for it you know so it was just yeah we had one moment in Kuwait actually when he took us out for a first breakfast and uh, we would have liked to have paid, but he insisted. Uh, and then a complete stranger. Um, one of this guy came up and started chatting to Khaled. Yeah. And yeah. walked through because Khaled was like, is an imam. And we just assumed it was someone from, you know, his mosque chatting away. And then um, the guy walked, uh, sort of walked to the side and Khaled said, oh, this, um, this kind gentleman I've never met before has just paid for our breakfast because he wanted to Whoa. welcome you to Kuwait. Yeah. No. And it was just. I That's know, an example so of, lovely. of many incidences that just yeah. like how wonderful is that? You know, we were blown away. It was just quite a, a really touching experience. Yeah, that hasn't really happened to us uh, in many places before. Mm. It, um, in Iraqi Kurdistan, it did. Yeah, yes. in that region, it's it's again it's quite common. Yes, yeah. Arab hospitality, but it was just so wonderful. Yeah, because there is Kuwaiti breakfast kind of uh, you know, the traditional ones that you'll get a lot of plates, won't you? Yeah. Of like dips and breads and uh, your hummus, your tahini, your or tahina they call it. Yeah, and a lot of um, like falafel. They do eat a lot of pulses, a lot of beans and things like that. Mm. So in some ways, it it could be okay for the vegetarians, but they don't have it in their culture. That's the the weird thing. They can't understand. You know what I mean? That hasn't quite. Yeah, people don't do it yet. by choice. They do it because they, um, yeah, they, they enjoy developed the, that, yeah. that uh, food. Yeah. So it sounds like the breakfast is kind of what we would expect with dips and breads and hummus and kind of a savory breakfast, not maybe a, a sweet, as sweet a yeah. breakfast as we might see in some European countries. That's interesting. Um, what about but also with jam and cream and honey? Okay, yeah, so, so there's, yeah, yeah. there's your sugar fix, <laughs> and yes, and and the tea, the carrot tea as well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the carrot tea because I've seen you drink that in the Middle East. Describe what the carrot yeah. tea is, you know, what, um, what's in it. It came from India, so I'm assuming it is chai, so it's similar to masala tea, but without the spicy masala. It has cardamom. Yes. Yes, it's tea and cardamom and sugar. I think you boil the cardamom pods with the the milk and the tea. Yeah. So some some listeners who listen might be thinking, no, no, it's completely wrong. But that's sort of how it was explained to us. And it's oh, it's delicious. It's just, mm, very sweet and yeah. Uh, and yeah, tasty is way to start the day. Isn't yes, it? but it is so it's like chai, Indian chai. It does sound like that. chai. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. guess there's a fairly large Indian population in in the UAE and probably all throughout the Middle East because a lot of uh, Indian workers have come um, in order to do jobs in, in the Middle East. Yeah. I know there's a big Filipino population as well. Yeah. So did you see a lot of Filipino and uh, Indian food when you were in the Middle East? 
in the UAE, definitely. Lee was looking at the figures. What was the figures for? Um... Uh, it was eighty-nine uh, percent of UAE is um, expat workers, you know, and, wow. and that's from all over the world, but 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 mainly from the Indian subcontinent, Bangladesh, Nepal, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka. You know, so you've got a massive influence of those, yes. and that is, on a budget sense, that was the cheapest way to eat in the UAE because there's a lot of uh, you know cafes set up uh just stores uh, not stores what do you have to describe like a, a... a hole in the wall kind yes. of thing you <laughs> yeah. know uh mom and pop place and... yeah yeah, yeah. some boosters yeah that's right <laughs> and uh, that was the that's the way to get a cheap food fix uh in the cheap in, delicious the tasty yeah a lot of it's vegetarian isn't it because um yeah you choose what you want for your pakora or yeah yeah we had some delicious food like that and so many filipinos filipinas as well and yeah. so you get all of your um, like Filipino fast food, like Jollibee and Chick King and all of those sorts of things that you that you see in the Philippines. Yeah. So it's yeah. great. There's something for everybody, you know, like if you can go there and if you don't like Middle Eastern food, which I'm not quite sure why you wouldn't. But, <laughs> um, you know, you've got so many other options due to the, this big international flavor there. It's great. But something that I did really notice about the UAE, well, like Dubai and Yes, yeah, so well, we only actually went to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Was that there seemed to be like such a huge um, gap between the foods? Like it seemed to be very expensive or very budget. Like it was sort of there wasn't a lot in between. Mm. Whereas we noticed in Saudi Arabia, for example, there was a lot. There was a lot more. Like, mid, yes, mm. mid-range priced food. Yeah. But the UAE, yeah, really, maybe because it is so incredibly wealthy, like it's so oil rich, whereas Saudi's not. Not too sure if there's quite as much. I'm not too sure. But yeah, yeah it just seems Saudi seemed to be a bit more reasonable when it came to but food so and more options. In comparison to Europe, for example, so I thought Saudi Arabia was quite reasonable for yes. food, wasn't it? You know, you could sit down and have a meal if someone would allow you to pay, <laughs> um, you know, for, for, uh, for, for less than what you would in Portugal, for example. Yes, actually, mm. yeah, you're right. But in mm. UAE, it was so many expensive places. Yeah. Like it was yeah. like way dearer yeah. than, than Portugal. Yeah, and I think uh, you were going to ask us about alcohol, uh, Brent. But uh, yeah, the UAE, like it is available there, and and that's uh, you have to go to like licensed venues, which tend to be in hotels and specific bars and things. You know where the alcohol is quite expensive, and the food tends to be more expensive as well. You know, for that you're kind of paying for the the right to have a drink. I think apparently there are places where you the person that we were house sitting for, um, he said that you can buy alcohol like from a you know a wholesale place yeah you used to need a license and the amount that you could buy was determined by your salary like you know what I mean so oh it's on like a sliding scale exactly yeah so like you know a bus driver might only be able to buy a couple of bottles of beer a month but someone who worked <laughs> in you know high up an HR would be unlimited because it would be for entertainment purposes kind of thing I think that may have been dropped but we didn't actually we didn't buy any, like he left us a bottle for, you know what I mean, for New Year's. Well, he said, like, help yourself. But um, something that's happened to me, host, yeah. yeah, since mm. we left yeah. Portugal, I've basically gone on the wagon. I'm totally teetotal for 2023. That's my new thing. Because um, I think I just love the, the wine in Portugal so much that I can't bring myself to drink alcohol anywhere else, which sounds daft, but it's wow. weird. Yeah, and uh, 
Oh, no, I've just gone off. I've gone off alcohol completely. In Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, you know, it wasn't available at all. No, so, it's, there was illegal. Know, if you're a drinker, and, yeah, you, you don't go there. Uh, we found that you know that the the coffee drinking culture and the tea drinking culture is really quite pleasant. You'd be sitting in a you know a really busy outdoor place in the evening with all the locals drinking, having a tea, and it was really sociable yeah. and, and quite quite civilized I thought you know and you don't wake up the next morning feeling a bit grotty you know on a hot day so uh, far better for us for uh you know in when we're in travel mode you said if you're a drinker don't go there no do go there but just remember you won't be able to buy any alcohol (laughs) just so like I think my favorite discovery in the Middle East was Lumi and a Lumi is this incredible drink made from dried limes so they're these funny little like balls like like hard balls to be found in all the markets and they're limes that have had the peel taken off them and then they're dried in the sun and so they make this drink they I I don't even know if they cut them up but they like throw them into boiling water and then they boil them for ages and it has this most incredibly intense citrus flavor it's just oh my word and they serve lumi in these small glasses you know like the, the tea glasses and you can ask for it without because otherwise, oh my word, they do like putting the sugar in. And it's just, I don't know, I thought it was wonderful. It just, mm. we were both getting cold. I think Lily had a cold, actually, in Riyadh, because Riyadh was surprisingly cold in comparison with that other places in Saudi. But um, like a, a couple of glasses of Lumi and boom, you're you're good yeah, to go. Oh, it's just so delicious. <laughs> so yeah, so Lumi is, is one of my favorite things from the Middle East. Is it really citrusy or is it? Uh... Incredibly. Okay. That sounds really cool. I th- I think I'd really like that. Well, I, I had a look online here. They do sell them in New Zealand, but one one Lumi, one um, of these dried limes, costs $4.50. <laughs> so I'm not going to try it. <laughs> but in, in the Middle East, they're, they're everywhere. Having said that, they didn't really drink it. They didn't drink it in Bahrain. We first I came think across one... it in Kuwait, didn't we? Yes. And then it was big in Saudi Arabia too. Yes. But mm. yeah, not so much Bahrain. But, and actually not that much in Saudi, but Kuwait definitely. Mm. Oh, it's just so wonderful. So I definitely recommend look out for Lumi. Before we leave the Middle East, I just wanted to give you a chance. Were there any other dishes or drinks that you had while you were there, whether it was Saudi or Kuwait or Bahrain, wherever, um, that especially stood out in your mind as especially delicious or fun or interesting? Yeah. So um, many. So many. <laughs> there are, yeah. But uh, we... Um, we didn't know much about Yemeni food before uh, we started and we didn't go to Yemen because the security situation isn't great there. Um, but it's quite popular throughout the region, isn't it? And um, uh, we tried a few dishes that we, we were taken to Yemeni places by a lot of Saudis that, that ate at them. And there was one dish called masoub, which we really liked, which is kind of a, a sweet breakfast dish. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's eaten throughout the day. People will, will get it anywhere. And it's uh, it's like a it's it's made with bananas, uh, like ripe, very ripe bananas, ground flatbread, and then cream, cheese, dates, and honey, and it's all mixed together like a a, a yogurt with lots of oh, delicious like things inside. Isn't very it? rich porridge, yeah, kind of thing, but like a, a an indulgent and a luxurious, yeah, luxurious. And it has porridge. bread in there, so it's quite um sort of substantial as Dense well, isn't and it? Heavy like and... You order a dish between the two of you, and uh, you're really full at the end of it, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, that's something that we hadn't really come across 
anywhere else no which is wonderful but um like I didn't like dates until we went to the Middle East and in the beginning like we'd be offered them and we walked around the market and I'd be like oh gosh you know, I have to take it because you know and then I'd have like one or two bites and I like, quickly swallow and not like it but then we went to Al-Assa which is in Saudi Arabia and it's the world's largest oasis and date plantation yeah and they have um just the most incredible dates and what they do is they get these dates there's so many varieties there's one like a black one called ajwa date which was the favored one of the prop and that only grows in medina and this like beautiful delicious black date but um what they do is they get the dates and they dip them in tahina and then you eat them that way and it's just such a wonderful combination of the like the sweetness of the date and the savouriness of the tahini and or they stuff the dates with almonds or they put fennel seeds on the outside or yeah. others just or they kind of crush them a little bit to make a date paste yes. don't they, as well mm. so you've got this uh, this lovely so, sticky um, yeah delicious <laughs> so yes yeah, so I didn't like dates well, and I'm a convert now but I still I haven't tried them yet out of the Middle East so I might be again like oh my word this is like, like cardboard they're horrible but so yeah so cool for that but yeah as we were saying like so many different Yemeni things like there's a something called shavut which is yogurt with like bread inside and like salad on top which was quite delicious there's a dish called mandy, which we didn't actually try. We really should have, but that's meat and rice. I know, mandy, like how cool. A lot of people laugh when they heard yeah. your name, didn't they? So meat and rice um, cooked with a special blend of spices, and it's cooked underground, kind of similar to like a New Zealand hangi maybe. But they eat a lot of Lebanese food. Like that seems to be like the really, like a lot of tabbouleh and like your hummus and other things as well. And yeah, also they, they love, plates, yeah. yes, fatouche, which I think is a Jordanian salad with like um, fried uh, pita bread on top. And oh, there's so, so, so many dishes. Like, As yeah. you can see, it, it was a food extravaganza. Was. Really, yeah, no it? kidding. You know, so interesting. Yeah, because, you know, that region, it is quite varied from the Levant countries like through the Arab Peninsula yes. and, uh, and then all the other influences as well. Uh, like recommend it for a foodie definitely like murtabak I said oh isn't that Indonesian they were like no no the Indonesians took murtabak like to Indonesia it's from um it Lips. went the other oh, way yeah, <laughs> traders have taken it yes yeah, yeah. and mm. so so murtabak is very popular as well for breakfast like with like eggs or whatever you choose to put in it but um and also they eat a lot of fool which are beans like even when you go to the supermarket there's this whole like area with like I think California Garden was the um the brand name with like 50, 20 different types of ways of cooking like beans, beans with cumin and lemon, beans with um tahina, beans with you know what I mean? So there's mm. loads and loads of options for you just buy the tin and put it out on a plate and dip, yeah, dip with your, your Lebanese bread in or your yes. um or your local different type brown of bread. breads. Yeah, they come from the tandoors, don't they? Tanor they call it. Yes. Hobus is the Arabic word for bread, and, and yeah. we just fell in love with it it was just uh, available everywhere nice and warm cheap and uh, it's yes. a great way to have a good feed there definitely because oh, that's the one thing I love about Kuwait Kuwait it's subsidized bread so everyone can afford to eat it was so I think it was like you said in one of the videos I think it was like seven cents for a for a tanur bread you know what I mean just so everyone can afford it it's yeah Kuwait was amazing in that respect mm. I think you're converting me Lee and Mandy to uh, <laughs> wanting to go to the Middle I, East now because oh, it just yeah. se seems like there's such a wide variety of interesting food and the culture is so rich there that you can have all yeah. this stuff. And I love the idea of all of these 
other cultures, these workers who are coming in and bringing their food culture with them as well. So pretty vibrant, it sounds like. And um, Oh, yeah. incredibly uh, so. Check out the videos that we'll have coming out soon because we, we made lots of videos uh, of eating, Oopsies, didn't you, Mandy? Yeah. So, uh, I got carried away. Yeah, uh, you'll get a, an even better taste uh, of what it's like there uh, by seeing it visually. Well, you guys, you guys know that I love your videos and I especially love watching what you guys are eating. That, that always uh, interests me a great deal. Let's, uh, let's move on to Thailand. Cause I, I know you guys made a trip to uh, Thailand as well. And, you know, if, if maybe I don't know as much as I should about Middle Eastern cuisine, boy, I sure love Thai cuisine. Brilliant. Tell me about what your guys' experience was in uh, Thailand. <laughs> well, I used to spend a lot of time, a lot of time in Thailand back in like the nineties, because Kiwis used to get a three month visa. So I used to go there all the time, and I'd Thai friends, and I spoke some Thai, and I used to go and help out at a local high school, like the English classes. So, so I, I spent a lot of time in Thailand. But it's like going home. <laughs> it is, but we hadn't been since t- two thousand and nine. So it was amazing yeah. going back after fourteen years and seeing what Bangkok is like now. And like Khao San Road was just, you know, yeah, we took a quick walk through there. But it was so cool to see that there's still all the street stalls, like selling your like nam, like your noodle soups and like so many other things. And we basically spent three and a half weeks eating. And that was the sole purpose yeah. of going there. It wasn't no, sightseeing. No sightseeing. It was purely just to go on a food fest. Yeah, to yeah. eat out three meals a day and and still be under budget. You know, yeah. stay in a hotel with our own bathroom and, and we, a very cheap guest house. Okay, but we went up north to Chiang Mai because uh, we enjoyed it up there, especially for the khao soy. Yeah, that's why we went up for the khao soy. You know, that delicious northern um, Thai soup with I think Burmese influences. Have you tried it, Brent? No, I'm not familiar with it, but we have a Burmese restaurant in our little town here in Portugal that I have not been to yet. So I'm going to have to go there and find out if they have it. Tell me the name of the soup again. Khao Soy. Khao Soy. K-H-A-O, and then Soy is S-O-I. Yeah. And it's basically like um, it's a coconut curry soup. And it has crispy rice, uh, crispy egg noodles on top. And within the soup itself, is it egg noodles? It might be. Uh, I think there's wheat noodles. In oh, there. so wheat noodles, yeah. yeah. Mm. And it's just this most deliciously rich, flavoursome mm. It's quite soup. thick, isn't it? It's, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> and so we uh, we had a bit of a khao soy tour. We went to a couple of places that have been featured on, um, I don't know if I can say this, Netflix, like um, <laughs> somebody feed Phil and yeah. Mark Weens from YouTube. Okay. Went to a few places that, yeah. that mm. they'd been to that they'd recommended. They weren't our favourite places. Like that's a spoiler. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but um, we found this other place in a market that was just fantastic. And we ended up meeting up with one of our viewers, a guy who's been commenting on our videos for years. And we arranged to meet him at this our favourite Calcio place, and he loved it. So like we were like felt vindicated, you know. It's like yes, it is as good as we think it is. So <laughs> oh, good, yeah. good, good. But, um, yeah. A local told you it was okay, yeah. Oh no, no, he's he's a um no, sorry, he's actually English. Oh, oh but I see. Been like, he had been watching our videos here, and he'd never tried cow. Sorry, I think he was a like pad thai. Yeah, we don't really like pad thai. It's like oh my days, like I don't know. It's we're we like things with more spice, but, but things like have you tried some tam, the spicy papaya salad? Yes. I love that. Yeah. Oh, because I love papaya so just yeah. to start with, you know, papaya by itself, I could oh. eat all day, you know? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But that was, we, I thought I'd overdose on some time, but no, I still had room to like keep having it like <laughs> the next day. Yeah. And we, what else did we load? Oh, we just found so many wonderful places. Yeah. 
lots of lab, lots of um, like the, uh, the spicy mince, yeah, mince meat salad. Had Krapau, the uh, the mince meat with, with royal basil, basil. Mm. and Thai basil. Yeah, and it was just oh, I was just so wonderful with the sticky rice, your cow yeah. meow. And we and were oh. food stores all the way, weren't we? Like we're yes. in a few markets as well, but uh, not a single restaurant. You know, the best food is to be found in these little cats on the streets. You know, with a little old lady who's been doing it for thirty years or so, yeah. and they just can produce a masterpiece. You know, um, with very little. It's for like just, fifty bucks, which is about US yeah, dollars. less than two dollars US. Yeah. yeah, per person. Yeah, it's just oh, it's amazing. And because it was quite hot, it was winter, but. Bangkok was 36 degrees. Oh, geez. You know, on our second to last day. Yeah. yeah so we would, and it's quite humid as well. So we were drinking a lot of like iced coffee and iced tea, like cafe yen, cha yen, um, and just, yeah, which is iced coffee, iced tea. Yeah. But, and we'd always ask for it in a bag because, but unfortunately, one of the things about Thailand, there is so much plastic used. And like we'd really tried to reuse straws, reuse plastic bags, but then they'd be like, what are you doing that for? And they'd like throw it away and give you a new one, which is, you know, is a bit tricky at times, but you just have to go with what the locals are doing. And it was amazing. Delicious. The Thai people were so friendly and helpful and took the train overnight trains and the food coming along the trains, you know what I mean? It was just, oh, it was so wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Endless procession of food <laughs> <Yeah>. available. <laughs> so good. I feel, I want to say, and I know this probably isn't true, but I want to say that I've had just a tiny bit of influence on you because it sounds like you guys are like now focused on the food for your trips. And, and this is something that warms my heart because, you know, I am totally focused. When I, when I go somewhere, it's like 100%. Where are we going to eat? What new dishes are we going to try? And where are we going to get yeah, them? You yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I would say that you have had an influence on us, Brent, because yeah, we haven't really been like that in any other country. And I think as well, it was just like we've like there were so many new experiences in the Middle East, and there were so many new new cities, new like things to learn about places, like going to Medina, the second most holy city in Islam, and mm. you know having the experience there and like learning about the food from that region and just you know, the history, et cetera. And then like going to like Alasa, the yeah, oldest, uh, no, sorry, the largest date farm in the world. And like going to other places as well in like Bahrain and seeing what it's like. It was just so nice to go to Thailand and it being somewhere familiar, somewhere where I could speak the language or like well enough to like ask for a meal and ask how much and like compliment them on it and have like, a little chat to them about where we're from and that sort of stuff. Yeah. It was just, it was just amazing. And just, yes, as you said, working out where we were going to have each meal. That was so much fun. <laughs> and, you know, like, as you get older, you can't eat as much as you used to. And, and you, with, we're like, oh, we're limited to three square meals a day. We'd love to be able to fit four or five in if we could. So just a few snacks in between. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah. Good. It's really interesting for me like, to see some of the things that used to be really budget um, foods in Thailand. And now they've become trendy in the last 14 years. Like those sort of, like we never bought them because they just seemed really expensive and a little like uh, they look like pancakes um with like egg inside like crispy egg and i think coconut they used to be like dirt dirt cheap but now they were like uh, this fancy name and so i think they've been made famous internationally durian durian's really increased in price and it was mm. to be sold everywhere in the old days you'd have to go to like just a chuck market to buy it but now it's you know Every single market has one or two pieces of durian for like 200 baht. Are you a fan of durian? Durian. I've watched people eat this and I'm familiar with what it is. 
but me personally, I haven't tried it. So um, I can't say, oh, okay. I can only talk, I can only speak of what other people have told me their experiences yeah. were with durian. I love it, but I only love it when it's cut straight from the big spiky fruit and it comes out and it's so fresh and soft and delicious. Mm. Yeah. If it's sat in packaging for a while, it loses yeah. its, uh, its... Well, it'll turn smelly, I'd say. The, yeah. um, <laughs> the smelly factor might be increased and the deliciousness yeah. might be decreased, I think. So, yeah, so we just didn't buy any durian. Yeah. We bought loads of jackfruit because I'd read jackfruit's like a really new, incredibly popular thing in the vegetarian vegan market as an alternative to like um, meat for texture. And like I've always loved jackfruit. It's my favorite fruit. So that was just really interesting to read. Do you eat a lot of jackfruit? I don't. Um, and I think my issue with jackfruit has been the um, maybe it's just not pre- been prepared to my liking yet. But it seems like every time okay. I have it, the texture has not been what I expected. And maybe that's just a me problem. Maybe that's not a jackfruit problem. But I will say this. <laughs> I, I see I see a lot of it in hip vegetarian restaurants. Um, you'll see yes. it as like a, a pork, a pulled pork substitute or a barbecue substitute. I see it a lot in yes. places like that. Yeah. My personal preference, yeah. if, if I'm going to be eating that type of thing, is to get, uh, I prefer the texture of like a tofu or something like that. That's just me. Yes. And I'm sure someone is going to come out and tell me, here's the problem. <laughs> you need to have it prepared this way, X, Y, Z. And then maybe I'll fall in love with it. I just haven't gotten to that point yet. But I mean, even if you have it like um, uncooked, like fresh, but it has to be ripe enough. It's got to be a lovely yellow color because we had some that was a bit too pale. So I don't yeah. think it was quite ripe. Mm. But then when you have it, when it's just a lovely golden color, and oh my word, I just, I love the texture, the, it's the, the perfume yes. taste. Oh, it's mm. just wonderful. Absolutely love jackfruit. And of course, we ate loads of mango. We didn't have any mangosteen or rambutan this time. Not too no. sure. We were concentrating pineapples. pineapples yes. Mm. We we're going for like those lovely little, like a whole pineapple for, you know, 30 baht. It's just so wonderful. Chopped up all for you. So yeah. it's nice and easy. Yeah. Oh, man. So, so cool. Love Thailand. Ah, uh, that's it's it's making me uh it's making me yearn for when we lived in Hawaii and all those wonderful tropical fruits oh. that we used to get at the market there. Yes. Um but anyway, you guys are now in Auckland. Mandy, you're from New yes. Zealand, so you're you're getting to visit yeah. family. Um Lee, I know you're a big fan of New Zealand as well. So you haven't yeah. been when were you last in uh, New Zealand anyway, you guys? We flew out from Auckland on March the 26th, 2019. Yeah, that so was it's been almost four years four almost. Years. Uh, yeah. Since, yeah, you know, due to the pandemic, we haven't been able to get back. So it's been, you know, we've been hanging out for this and uh, yes. it's great for Monday to see family again. Yeah, we flew back in on Monday and it's just so lovely to be home. Like we're planning to go up north to see family up there, but unfortunately, because of the cyclone, cyclone Gabriel, you know, that's devastated so much of the country. Like the roads that we want to take up north, they're sort of closed at the moment or work's been done because of slips and issues so mm. that's sort of delaying the trip up north but we're having a wonderful time in Auckland with Mar and Gaz they came to visit us in Portugal and so you know they're on a few of our videos and it's just so cool to be with them again you know and like talking about all things travel and Portugal and all that sort of stuff yeah, yeah and like of course eating like my favorite New Zealand foods which it's a terrible thing. I revert to a blinking teenager when I come home. It's, um, <laughs> so bad. Yesterday for lunch we had um, 
uh, meat pie sandwiches, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> you know, so you get your meat pie, um, no cheese, unfortunately, because they were on special, but yeah, so meat pie between two, it's a bread and butter and tomato sauce, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, that when I was 15. I've heard of meat pies. I've never heard of a meat pie sandwich before. <laughs> but like it does. Double carbs. It's so bad. Yeah. You need to open a gourmet restaurant, maybe, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. so With lashings of New Zealand butter. That's the, that's yeah. the secret, I think. Like the dairy product here. Second to none. The new Michelin-starred restaurant of uh, meat meat pie sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. I feel so embarrassed. No, I don't feel embarrassed. I'm proud to share it with the world. No, man. Fly your flag, flag, Mandy. Be proud and fly your flag, you know? Come on. Um, so what else? What are you, you are the guilty uh, secrets guilty, about like, New um, Zealand. Rations are sort of like a corn snack. Ration and peanut butter sandwiches. I'm hanging out to have one of those because I love them. <laughs> and, of course, Vegemite. You know, like I love Vegemite. Did you try Vegemite when you were in New Zealand? Brent? I did, and I and I, in fact, the Airbnb we were in in uh, Devonport, which is right across the bay oh, from really? Auckland, um, they had it in the so kitchen. Beautiful. So that's I, I I spread it on toast, and the thing that I learned was, you don't spread it thick like jam. <laughs> you just just a little yeah. bit goes a long way when you're when you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so delicious with avocado on toast. Oh, okay. Avocado because the savoriness of the, because Vegemites are like a yeast-based product. It's very high in B12, I think, B6, one of the B vitamins, a couple of them maybe. But so the, the savoriness, the umami flavor of the Vegemite, and then the creaminess of the avocado, oh, they just go so well together. It's, yeah, it's heavenly. <laughs> Actually, I've got to buy some avocado. That would be good. I think I would really like that too. Yes, yeah. So wonderful. What else are you looking forward to trying now that you're back, uh, quote unquote, home? We haven't got into ice cream yet, have we? That's uh, another level of the New Zealand ice cream. It's just, yeah, incredible. Boysenberry is my favorite flavor from New Zealand, I think. Yes. Uh, do you get that anywhere else? I'm not quite I sure. Boysenberries are similar to mulberries, but they're different. They're not on a tree. They're on a, a, a bush or a vine. I don't know what you call it. But mm. yeah, I, I haven't seen boysenberries in many countries. But for me, it's um, Whitaker's chocolate. It's so lovely. It's did you try Whitaker's chocolate? I love Whitaker's chocolate. When here's here's one of the things that that I you know you guys um, you guys know that I always say first thing to do when you get to a new city is um, take the food tour. But another thing that I love to do, and I don't talk I I should talk about this more in the podcast. But one of the things that I really recommend folks do is not only go to the fresh produce market, but also go to the local grocery store, especially if you're in a country where you haven't been before. And, and this is also when we were in Devonport, there was a grocery store and I can't, it's a chain in New Zealand and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head now, but we went in and I saw all of this Whitaker's chocolate in the grocery store. And I thought, Oh, this will be fun. I'll pick up a couple of these bars. I was really, really impressed with the quality of Whitaker's chocolate. I really liked it. For a mass-produced, you know, chocolate, I thought it was one of the finest ones that I've ever had, really. I oh, mean, so, wonderful. Oh. So, so far above, you know, that, that mass-produced stuff that you get in the United States and maybe in England as well. Yes, well, yeah. I think, um, like, it's a family-owned business. It's been going since 1896, 
family-owned. It's four generations now have, have worked with the company. And, you know, it's fair trade cacao and it's, I don't know, it's just Isn't the, it's the so cocoa amazing. the content higher than, than yes, some of, of the other brands? Oh, exactly, yes. The milk chocolate, con- uh, the cocoa content is 33%. Because I think Cadbury's is 26%. So it's like it's incredibly rich and they've got so many different flavors at the moment. Yes, they've got yes. blondie, which is white chocolate and biscuit. And for Christmas, they had like gingerbread um, milk chocolate. And Mandy's going to be busy over the next <laughs> few weeks working yeah. through. Oh, <laughs> my mum, Ma, bless her heart, she's been stockpiling chocolate for me like since we left in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> because we've been trying to come back like. Yeah, we were yeah. going to come back a year and a half later or two years later, but of course it. we couldn't do that. So I've got all this chocolate. Some of it might be a little bit old, but I don't care. <laughs> and so I've got... they bring out limited edition flavors and yes. things, don't they? So yeah. like stuff that isn't available now. But uh, oh, yeah. it's just so exciting. So yeah, I've got all these Whitakers <laughs> to go through, and oh, I'm just so happy, so so happy because I used to love Cadbury's when it was made in New Zealand, but then they closed the Dunedin factory and it went right. to Australia. And the milk, the milk is so different because I could always tell the difference before anyway. I think kiwi milk is just, it's richer maybe. Mm. I'm really not, we have a lot more rain, you know what I mean? So the grass mm-hmm. might be richer or something. Soil. Volcanic oh, soil, yeah. yes, exactly. And so the same with Whitakers. It's just, oh, it's just marvellous. We saw Whitakers in a supermarket in Abu Dhabi in oh. Carrefour. And I was like, oh, my word. I was so excited to see this big Whitaker stand. <laughs> Didn't buy any, of course, because I think it was like a little bit yeah. dearer. And I knew that my mother had saved loads for me. So I was waiting till I got Wait home. Wait till you get home, yeah. Yeah. But oh, how wonderful. We kind of glanced over ice cream. And I wanted to bring up ice cream because when we visited New Zealand in 2019, I remember an ice cream flavor that I had there. I love, first of all, I love the ice cream in New Zealand. The, the, like you said, Mandy, the dairy in New Zealand is so good and rich and that translates into the ice cream. And there was a flavor of ice cream that I only saw in, um, in New Zealand. And I think it was called honeycomb. Is that correct? Is there a, it's called hokey pokey, hokey pokey. And yeah, and, and it was, it was described to me as, uh, as having honeycomb in it. And as an American, I thought honeycomb, they meant the actual honeycombs from a beehive, you know, because that's what, that's what we call, that's what we call honeycomb. And I've eaten honeycomb before I have friends who are beekeepers and, you know, munched on the little honeycomb. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. I'm going to get a honeycomb in the... That's not what honeycomb is when you're in New Zealand, right? So ex- explain what hokey pokey is and what the uh, what the honeycomb actually is. You've actually caught me up there because I'm trying to figure out a way to describe it. It's like, what do you call it? It's made with... Um, toffee, like a toffee. It's toffee. But it, but it's, sweet, I think it's got it? bicarb soda in it. Yeah. Or okay. something to make it light and airy and fluffy. So when you make it, it's quite easy to make it at home. I think it's sugar and water and a couple of other things by carb and it really puffs up and then it comes down and it, it sort looks of, like honeycomb doesn't it and that's the same golden um texture and it's very airy like yeah. aerated yeah and that and, must be um, why they call it honeycomb because it has those little air pockets yeah. in it and it's kind of a golden yes. color as well yes yeah so yeah hokey pokey i think is like new zealand's like national ice cream or yeah they're so proud of it I, I'm not a fan. I hate to say that. Like, I'm not a typical Kiwi in so many ways. I don't like rugby. I don't like cricket. Like, sorry, my fellow Kiwis. And I don't, I don't like honey, uh, hokey pokey. Yeah. But, um, 
And you're not, are you a fan, Lee, of Hokey Pokey? No, Rocky Road, man, more. Me, ah, you know. okay. It's Australian, I think. Oh, is it? Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, <laughs> flying the wrong flag there. Whoops. But you do love your boysenberry. Yeah. And Lee sure. likes things like goody-goody gumdrops, that virulent, bright blue. Yeah, if it's with... a bizarre colour, count me in, definitely. <laughs> you just yeah. Don't read the ingredients, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but yeah, it's just so wonderful to what you – we went to – countdown the other day that supermarket chain and lee said he loves the fact that there's a whole whole huge freezer section devoted to ice cream yeah yeah oh my mum's cat's just come in she's, she's a burmese and she's very talkative and she's telling us it's she wants to attention <laughs> it's it's oh, it's dinner time for her she wants some whitakers <laughs> yeah oh yeah, it's so lovely but um yeah what up what else New Zealand food wise? Uh, I don't know. Hot dogs, maybe, you know? Sausage on a stick with a batter over it. <laughs> Battered sausage on a stick. I love them. Fish and chips, of course, down by the waterfront. That'll be amazing. Yeah. It's just, it'd be so cool to be. Oh, we have feedjoers. I actually saw a couple of feedjoer trees in Portugal. Have you seen them, Brent? Have you ever heard of a feedjoer before? Feedjoer? No. What, what is it? It's a, um, it's a green fruit. The, another name for it is like a pineapple guava. It's about um, five centimetres long, the fruit. It's on a bush. I think it originally comes from Brazil, hence the name, Fijoa, like F-E-I-J-O-A. And um, they're very, very popular in New Zealand for hedge plants. Like in, in the old days, you know what I mean, like on farms, etc. they'd have a Fijoa hedge around the, the backyard. And the, then they'd bottle the feedjoers to like um, have them preserves. preserves. Yeah, yeah canning mm. preserves, etc. And um, yeah, they're really popular in New Zealand. I didn't really see them when we were traveling. Oh, I saw them in Azerbaijan, which was weird, and Georgia. And mm. I saw a couple of feedjoer trees in Portugal when I was house sitting up at Kinta, yeah, which was just I amazing. The Brazilian influence that someone's decided yeah, someone's to them over. over there. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to. They're on the tree at the moment. They're not quite right. They're, you know, they're sort of growing at the moment. So in a couple of months, yeah. we'll be able to eat some feedjoes. Apart from that, I think hmm. that's it for me with kiwi food. <laughs> I know cause we're not really into seafood or shellfish or anything like that. So. But, uh, uh, you know, a good, um, like, Sunday roast, you know, you have your, your kumara, don't you, your sweet potato. Yes. Uh, I do like that mixed, you know, with, with normal potatoes. And pumpkin. And pumpkin as well, yeah. Yeah, there's a few additions to like a, a traditional UK Sunday roast, you know, uh, some of the vegetables, really nice. If people are thinking after hearing this of going to New Zealand, let me just throw my two cents in and just say go because it is yeah. life-changing experience for us. Uh, we absolutely loved our time in New Zealand. And, you know, we were, we were talking, Karen and I were talking, we were saying, man, if we could figure out a way to make this happen, we would uh, we would do it. We would go there. But, um, you know, it's not as easy to immigrate to uh, New Zealand as it is to some other countries, Portugal being one of them, some yes. other. Um, and it's also it's a little expensive as far as uh, living goes. But if yeah. you're going on vacation, boy, do it. Go to New Zealand and uh, you'll have the yeah. time of your life because a lot of people go to Australia and. Australia is great too, but man, 
go to New Zealand. You'll have a great time. And we made so many great friends in New Zealand just from hanging out, sitting in restaurants and people coming up and talking to us. Fantastic trip. Fantastic place. That is so cool to hear. Yeah. It's really, yeah. really lovely. If you like the great outdoors, then uh, it's the place to come. You know, it's all about outdoor living here. And um, it's very beautiful. The countryside, it's got a lot going for it, hasn't it? Yes. And the people are lovely. They're very, it's a very, I don't know, it's a slightly quieter, slower way of life, I think. Even in Auckland, the capital city. Like it's. Yeah. It's got that laid back vibe to it, you know, yeah. doesn't it? Which, uh, which is nice. It always makes you feel good when you're when you're calm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, Lee and Mandy, the frugal travelers, you know, it's been, it's been a while since we've talked, but I feel like I've been able to keep up with you by watching you on your YouTube channel. It's always fun watching your guys' new videos. I'm always happy when it pops up on my feed and I'm like, oh, got a new video from frugal travelers. And that always makes me smile. Thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink today and looking forward to uh, seeing you guys down the road too. Thank you so much, Brent. And the awesome. same with you. Like, I love it when your posts pop up on Instagram and Facebook. It's always so wonderful to see what you're up to and who's next on your show. And we always look forward to the episode. So that's it's so cool. Yeah, it's been great fun. And we always have a laugh. So, uh, yes. so thanks for inviting us on. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, there you go. Mandy and Lee are such a delightful couple. And I got to say, that definitely comes through on their videos. I've got a link to their YouTube channel in the show notes. Get that at radiomisfits.com slash DED234. I'm really looking forward to where they're off to next. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, it's summer, so we're talking beer. And we'll enjoy a couple of cold ones from different places around the world. Don't miss that. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com for your favorite foodie travel fix. I just published a story about a place that's a great little day trip from Lisbon. It's a riverfront town called Alcazar do Sal. Get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. I've also had lots of fun making these new videos for YouTube, and I just posted a new video about coffee culture here in Portugal. I try a few different kinds of Portuguese coffee drinks and an Italian espresso for good measure. You can see that on my website. Just go to DestinationEatDrink.com and click on the Videos tab, or go to YouTube, and my channel is at Destination Eat Drink 946. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who orders his hokey pokey with a shot of scotch, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.